Let's look into the Word of God together. Grab your Bibles. We're in Ephesians again. Surprise! Woo! Ephesians. You can stick your finger in Ephesians 6. We'll get to there in a minute, but I need to kind of give an introduction. We look at God's Word today. Let's remember the big picture of what the Apostle Paul is up to in this section of Ephesians. Um, matter of fact, understand this, that you're going to say, well, Pastor Mark, Pat, Paul's been up to this, the Apostle Paul, for like a whole couple of sections. There's a reason for that. Here's a biblical uh, a way to understand God's truth. Uh, a really important principle. Repetition is for emphasis. Say that with me. Repetition is for emphasis. Is for emphasis. So when you see something repeated over and over and over in the Scriptures, here's the reality. God's trying to make a point. Um, matter of fact, the only time you'll ever see Jesus in all the Bible do three parables in a row is when he tells about the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. He's trying, to make it, he's trying to say, listen, get my point. Lost people matter. I'll actually talk about that a little bit next week. But, but here's the deal. When God does something through his word over and over and over, he's trying to say to us, listen, Mark, I'm trying to communicate a point to you. Pay attention. And so he's trying to communicate a point here. So starting way back in chapter 5, verse 18... The Apostle Paul has been teaching about what a spirit-filled life looks like for a Christ follower. What's it look like? We say we're Christians. What's it look like to say, I don't just exist. I don't just have a, a, you know, a nominal, self-empowered Christian life. But I actually have a spirit-filled Christian like life. And he's been making this very broad comment about spirit-filled living. And it's this, this that Christians filled with the Spirit will live a life different than the world, and it's going to live it in a way that you might not even, without living in this, might actually react a little bit against. He's going to say, you will live a life of submission, which is something that's not the norm for, for the rest of humanity. That, that um, as people, we talked about this last week, we're really good at dominating others. We're really good at trying to control others. We're really good at being aggressive towards others. Matter of fact, we've got a term for you, even some of you sweet ladies, it's called passive aggressiveness. What it is is trying to control people in a passive way, but you're really being aggressive. Um, but we're not actually really good, naturally, without Jesus, at being people of submission. Now, don't feel too bad about that, because the very first couple God ever created proved that his people were not very good at it. Right? Adam and Eve, if you want to say, what were they no good at? Submitting to what God wanted for them. He said, eat anything in the garden. Just don't mess with this one tree. What do they go? Hey, Adam, let's eat from that one tree. You know, and Adam says nothing. You know, go ahead, do it. So people are not real good at submission. So Paul is pointing out, the Apostle Paul is pointing out, that as the Holy Spirit invades the very core of a person, as we become filled with his Spirit, that change will occur within us. And the most significant change... Um, Changes that happen will happen in our heart and will result in changes in our outlook and our behaviors. And now Paul illustrates this, uh, how change should have be revealed in all of our relationships. He's saying your relationships will look, will look different. That the test, the true test of transformation is how we get along with one another. So he looks at the relationships between husbands and wives. We looked at that for a couple weeks. He looked at the relationships between parent and children. We looked at that last week. And now he applies the spirit-filled living 
resulting in relationships that are different to loving submission to another group of people. And it's in the group of people that we think of as employers and employees. And I want to explain this to you, how he's using this as an example. Because we're going to read the text and some of you are going to go, he's not talking about employers and employees at all. I'm going to explain that. So grab your Bible. You already opened it up to Ephesians chapter 6, right? We're going to read verses 5 through 9. It says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as man-pleasers, but as, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good things each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him or with God. Now, before we get into any specifics, we need to understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He uses the term slaves and masters. And I know that this may automatically stir up some really strong feelings in you, and it should. If it doesn't, you're probably not very aware of what goes on in the world, what goes going on in our country. It ought to stir up some feelings, reading it and going, really? He's condoning slavery? Is that what the Apostle Paul is really doing here? See, when we think of slaves and masters, we probably think of what went on in America and, and went on in many other countries. We kind of just, right now, for some reason, just blame America, but it's gone on all over the place for, for generations, for all of human history, and what continues to go on in many places today in the world. The idea of slavery where people were and are targeted, uh, they're, they're targeted, they're captured, they're treated as subhuman, and they're stripped of all their dignity, they're stripped of all their honor, they're used for the profit and the pleasure of other people, and they're actually owned by others as property. You know, it was a, a terrible thing, slavery, that went on in America. And it's a terrible thing that's going on today, unless you think, unless you think slavery's done. It's not. All over countries, there's... The kind of slavery that went on in America still goes on all around the world today, but there's also slavery that goes on all over the place that we're becoming more and more aware of that, believe it or not, right now on this Sunday morning, literally millions of people are enslaved. They're treated as slaves in the sex industry. That is going on right now today. You say, oh yeah, everywhere else in the world, right here in America. The police are constantly busting rings of people who are literally enslaving people to sell them, you know, for their bodies. Now, we need to understand something about what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. That is not what the Apostle Paul is saying when he's using the term master and slave. He is not referring to what we understand as slavery from our not-so-distant past in our country um, through African Americans, but also what's going on today through the sex slavery industry. That's not what he's um, understanding. That's why it's so important for us to understand history. You see, in the first century, when the Apostle Paul was writing, he didn't write this yesterday, he wrote this over 2,000 years ago. 
that in the first century when Paul lived, servanthood was not what we think of when we use the word slavery. Basically, the servant in this situation was an employee of an employer. Um, you know, generally, back in Paul's day, servants were people who, they would say this, sold themselves, or you could say this, committed themselves or indentured themselves into the servanthood of another person who was generally more wealthy, and they did it for a period of time. They served that person that in, employed them or owned their time. And this relationship was more like our understanding of an employee-employer relationship than it would be like our understanding of what a slave-master relationship is from our American history. So what the Apostle Paul writes here is about living out a spirit-filled life in what we would think of as an employee-employer relationship. Therefore, this is relevant to us. Because a lot of people would take the Bible, read this point, and number one, they would do this. They would just throw their Bible out. That's why some people that you interact with, they look at you and they go, how could you possibly be a Christian? Why would you believe this garbage, this nonsense? They, they believe lies like this. Oh, Christianity you know, puts women down. No. Historically, Christianity has been the greatest freer of women of anything in all of human history. Bringing them, elevating them, because Scripture says there's not male or female, bond or free. It elevates women. It also has been the greatest freer of, of people in bondage. Matter of fact, if you think of the, the movement in America that ended what we think of as slavery, who were the main people behind that movement? The abolitionists. Sisters. They were, they were whole organizations of church people saying, this is not right. And so when the Apostle Paul here is saying, live a spirit-filled life in this idea of slave and master, he's not trying to condone what we, the horrible thing that we experience here. He is talking more about an employer-employee relationship that was very common in the first century. So, this applies to you and me today. Um, we can't just dismiss it. It applies to us. So my question then, to think about is, how, is to ask this question. How many of you work as an employer or an employee? Let me see your hand. Work as an employer or an employee? Almost every one of you. Some of you didn't put your hands up, so you're either stay-at-home mom or unemployed or retired. So a lot of us are looking for the day where we don't have to raise our hand for that. Um, we'll still be working for the Lord, but not necessarily as an employer and employee. Here's the reality. Almost every hand went up in this place today. So what, um, so what do we find then about living out this relationship, employer-employee, um, in a Christ-honoring way? And as I look at this text, I see three major principles that apply here, that apply to every one of us, whether you are on the side of employee or you're on the side of employer, that this applies to all of us. So let's look at these three. And I hope that what, you can, what you're going to say is, okay, I'm doing pretty good on this one but always I can do better. So that we, because what are we trying to do? We're trying, what's Paul's big picture here? Is he really that, incur, that, that concerned with, with profits of a company? No. He's concerned with Christians living in a spirit-filled manner in such a way that it influences in a positive manner the people around them. That's what he's, in, that's what he's involved here. He's trying to say, listen, employers, you ought to reveal Christ as you employ people. Employees, you ought to reveal Christ as you work for someone else. So let's look at three principles that will help us do that, to reveal Jesus in the workplace. The number one 
principle is this, and there'll be a slide that'll show it, is this. Understand that everyone is under authority. Everyone is under authority. The Apostle Paul applies, applies this to both employees and employers. In verse 5, what we read, Paul tells employees what? To be obedient to their masters. So again, don't get freaked out by masters. Be obedient to their employers. In other words, those in authority over them. But then in verse 9, look what it says. In verse 9, Paul tells the masters or the employers, those who exercise authority over others, to remember that they have a master in heaven that's over them. And here's the point he's trying to make. Everyone is under authority. If we understand that, it changes how we act towards other people. You see, this is a really important conclusion to come to in life. That everyone, no matter what position I have in life, that I am under the authority of someone. See, it's so common in our very individualistic culture to buck authority. Children, you know, they fight the authority of their parents. I like this. It's my imagination, or have millennials kind of stolen something from a past generation, that I kind of hear them this, that they are kind of fighting against the man again. It's like the man's been resurrected. I don't know who the man is, but the man back in the 60s, they knew who the man was, but now I hear that again. It's kind of like fighting against the man. You know, so the establishment, fighting the establishment. You know, um, employees fight against employers, employers fight against employees. You know, basically, people resist the truth that everyone is under authority and everyone, listen, must learn to live well under authority. That's what Paul's going to get at here. You need to learn to live well under authority, that, that it can get in a spirit-filled life, you can actually be under authority, even the under the authority of somebody who is difficult, and you can learn to not bristle under the authority of another important of another person. You see, this is really important for your success in life. Um, it pertains to all relationships, and it really it pertains to your relationships in employment. You see, a person who can come to terms with the reality that they are under the authority of another person, they can then accept that authority and even welcome it as a blessing, as a covering. And when that happens, you will do well. The employee that does, that does this, does what he or she is told without argument, um, will generally be rewarded when they learn that it's okay to be under authority. The employer who realizes that they are under God's authority and they're responsible then unto God, will treat others with respect and dignity. And then the ones they treat with respect and dignity, their employees, will generally work harder and do better for them, which then benefits their company. You all know someone who continually bucks authority. You can all think of people. We talked about it a little bit last week. They're always fighting they're always arguing. They're always talking about their rights. I have my rights. Here's what I found. Those people don't generally go very far in life. There's only one field, and I mean this is all honesty. It's going to be funny. Only one field where I see those people do well. You know what field it's in? Politics. The only field I see that people do well who are constantly bucking authority, talking about, I have my rights and you're not going to tell me what to do, are the, are the, the crowd 
charred leaders in politics that are riling up other people. So you can, you can do that way. I saw somebody whisper law. It could probably be in the field of law too, you know, um, but it's in, in the area of politics. And here's what I found about those people. As I've looked at them now for, you know, for five decades, um, they're not happy people. And they're not the kind of person you want to be around that anybody else wants to be around. And I would just say to you, don't be that guy. You don't want to be that guy who's always, you know, whining about, I, you're not, I got my rights. What that really is a sign of is they don't understand they're under authority. You know, God puts us under human authority to teach us how to operate under His authority. We do well when we all learn to accept that we are under someone's authority and we learn to live well under it. You know what? Here's the reality of life. Life's not fair. If you haven't figured it out yet, you'll be much happier when you do. Life's not fair. Sometimes a person in authority over you will be rotten. They'll treat you with disrespect. But guess what? You can still live under that authority in a way that says, you know what, God? Ultimately, I'm under your authority. And that's all that really matters. We'll mention that in a few minutes. That's all that really matters, God. But I can learn to live well and not bristle and buck under authority, even if it's improper authority. I can really learn it. I can learn that. Remember, this is not about a company doing well. This is about you doing well. And he's worried about you showing spirit-filledness. And what happens is you will have a joy. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can have love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can have all that even with a rotten person in authority over you if you will learn that authority is a God-given thing. They're going to be accountable for them. You're not accountable for them. They're accountable for them. We're going to talk about that. You're accountable for you. And you can learn to live under that authority. You will be a happier person than the person who's always clamoring about, you know, I've got my rights. That makes sense? So that's the first principle that the Apostle Paul teaches here. We're all under authority. And that has a real impact on how we live. Let's look at the next principle, number two. In all that we do, it's about serving others with a right heart. It's about serving others with a right heart. Whether you are an employee or an employer, your heart is what's important. Remember, this is, a, this is about spirit-filled living in the workplace and that spirit-filled living in the workplace will have some very real implications on how we act towards other people. And for one, it's about our heart toward the people we interact with. Ask ourselves the question, how do I view others? How do I value or devalue others? What's my heart towards those I work with? For the Christian, indwelt with the very Spirit of God, our heart towards people should elevate them above anything else. And listen to me, above anything else. So guess what? People matter more than profit. If this is true, people matter more than profit. Yes, profit is important. And if you're an employee and you think, well, you know, all they care about is profit, understand this. Without profit, there is no company and everybody loses. Okay? And if you are a business owner or a manager of people, I believe this, and I think it would be in line with God's, with God's heart. There should be great reward for great risk and great investment. 
I absolutely believe that to be true. The people who start businesses and run businesses take incredible risk, a huge, great investment, and it's absolutely right for them to have great reward. I believe that. However, people are always more important than profit. And if you are an employee, it's about people first, right? Are you honoring your employer by working hard and being productive so that your employer makes a profit? You should be. If you're an employer, are you saying, I need to make a profit, but I need to treat my employees well? You should. Friends, if you're an employee, I believe this. Christian employees should be the hardest working, most dependable employees that a company could ever have. Please, let's stop this idea. I've heard people say this, and, I, and I've had to deal with the time saying, I'll, I'll hire anyone unless they're a Christian. Because they somehow want to use that as a tool to have excuses on why they shouldn't show up, work hard, do whatever. I'm telling you, a Christian should be the hardest working, most dependable employer employee that a company ever has. Why? Primarily because you are modeling Christ-like living in front of every other person in that, in that place of employment. That's why the Apostle Paul says verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says that employees should always work hard, always be honest. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying not just when the boss is watching. He says not for eye service. In, in other words, saying not only when you're being watched. You should do it all the time. Why? Because your integrity matters. Integrity is what you do when no one watches. Because your integrity speaks of the reality of your faith. It says that, that, that God in you will cause you to be honest and hardworking. That's working on spirit fullness makes you a great employee and a great employer. So as we serve others in the workplace, um, as good, hardworking employees that are kind and thoughtful, you know, and, and in, in employers we reveal the spirit-formed life. Um, as we do this, what, what we show is that we are better because of Jesus in us. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at here. That we need to understand it's always about the heart. That we do what we do because of the right heart. If the heart is right, we'll work hard. We'll be a great employer who will take care of their employees. We'll be a great employee who will work hard in the workplace. I'm going to say, I'm going to give you my all for the time I have here. I'm not going to just do it while you're watching. I'm not going to slack off when you're not watching. I'm not going to steal what's the companies. All these things you say, oh, that's, that's not spiritual. That's all spiritual. That's the most spiritual. Because it all goes to who you are in the heart. That make sense? Let's look on to the last one. Third, number three, um, of a, what it looks like, the principle about spirit-filled living in the workplace. And it's this. Number three, there is a day of reward for right living coming. There is a day of reward for right living that is coming to us. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So he's talking about all of us here, employer and employee. He says, whatever good thing we do, this we will receive back, and others will be rewarded for back. From who? From our employer? No. From the Lord, whether slave or free. Friends, in the work-a-day world, there is a real need to always keep an eye on eternity. Because here's the reality. Sometimes the best employee isn't rewarding. And sometimes the honest person is overlooked 
and is lied about and is mistreated, maybe even loses their job. It does happen at times. We live and we work in a sin-corrupted world where people are often taken advantage of. And as Christians in this world, we march to the beat of a different drummer. We are honest and kind and loving and hardworking, even if every other person around us is not. Why? Because there is a day of reward for right living that is on a horizon. God is watching and God will reward light living. We usually think of it this way. God is watching and God's going to get me. God's not trying to get you. God is watching and God will reward you for right living. That's what it says here. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels, if a person would even give a cup of cold water to someone in his name, what's he say he'll do? He'll remember it and he'll reward it. God is watching because he loves to reward his people. Friends, eternity is about reward for the Spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. If we will live, if we allow the Spirit to change us on the inside, we become great employees. He says if we do that, it's about reward in our future. You know, sometimes when, we, when work is awful, when people are difficult, economies crash, you get, you, know, you get swindled. You ever been there? Anybody have a bad week this week? Some people did because you told me about it. He's had an awful week. The one thing to hold on to is this. This is not the end of the story. I win because Jesus wins. He will reward his children for right living. There's a quote that I have on my office wall that helps me with this when I'm having a bad week. And I put it in your bulletin. Um, a Mother Teresa quote. Some of you have never heard this before. Somebody said to me, are we turning Catholic? I said, not really, but I love Mother Teresa's quote, and it's great. It's in your bulletin. There's some extra copies of it out on the back table that says this, and I love it. It's been hanging on my office wall for years. It says, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. That's what we're talking about. There's a reward waiting. It was never between you and them anyways. It is always about what is between you and God. We ultimately need to live and to work for an audience of one. That was how the Quakers lived. The Quakers had that statement. Live for an audience of one. They understood. The world may treat you terribly, but you know what? God is watching and God is the rewarder. That's what he's talking about here. He is the rewarder of those who do well. We, work for the, we, we live for the audience of one, God himself. So what do we learn from Paul about expressing a spirit-filled life in the working relationships? Those tells you this. Doesn't mean you come to church today and go, oh, that was so wonderful, singing songs, hearing cute little things about the Bible. You walk out Sunday, maybe even still do something spiritual today. Monday morning you get up, you're a totally different person. You walk into the work job and you act like everybody else. Sunday, you morph back into the Christian, you come back to church and you act a certain way, and if you come on Wednesdays, maybe you got a little couple hours. No. 
he's saying this. It's about every day, every, in, in every way, in every relationship. A spirit-filled person, it permeates everything we do, including our work relationships. So what's he say? Kind of summarizes it. Understand everyone is under authority, so learn to embrace it. Listen, stop fighting the man. I'm not saying you don't, you, you don't stand up for things, but I'm saying learn that you live under authority and the world's not fair. You know, don't be that guy who's always bucking. Second, it's about serving others with a right heart. It comes down to your heart. If your heart is right, everything else will flow right. And thirdly, there is a day of reward for right living coming. So even when you're ripped off, mistreated, and overlooked, God's keeping the books. And you know what? This life is about that long compared to eternity, which never ends. How do you want to live? A reward for all of that? Or sacrifice all of that for you know, getting your ounce of flesh in this little tiny blip we call life? So let's end today by thanking God for our employment. Whether you're an employer or an employer, or some of you as employers have been through tough times since 2009. You have been through tough times. And you know what? But let's thank God that he's given you those opportunities. And, he's, and so far as I can see, he's helping you through and things are, are ro- running along good again in this world that we have. And let's invite the Holy Spirit to shape us so that we are the employers and the employees that represent him well in the world. And that's going to perfectly, perfectly segue into May being Missions Month because we're going to talk about that. So let's stand together this morning. Join me in praying. Father, we thank you today. Lord, that work is not a four-letter word. A lot of times we think of it that way. It does have four letters, but we know what we mean by a four-letter word. It's not a curse word. That, that ultimately work is a gift from you. You gave us abilities. You gave us um, vision. You gave us uh, capacities to do things. That if we didn't have employment, this life would be boring. It would be unproductive. And in many ways, we wouldn't accomplish a thing. But Lord, you gave us work. From the very first man and woman, you put them in the garden and you gave them a job to do. You told them to tend the garden. You made them farmers. Father, um, we thank you for work. And Lord, this is my prayer. This is our prayer for us today. Lord, we want to shine your reality in every dimension of our lives. Lord, we understand this a lot in our, in our homes. We understand we want to raise kids for you and influence grandkids for you. And, and Lord, we want, we want you to shine in our homes. And we sometimes think of our homes as a, as a shelter from the storm, and they should be. But Lord, you've given us employment. Some people in here are business owners. Some are employees. And Lord, we all have jobs to do. And you thought it was so important that the Spirit-filled life be revealed through that, that you took the time to inspire the Apostle Paul to write about it in your word. And so, Lord, I would ask now for everyone in this place that, Lord, we would look at our employment a little different than maybe we have before. We'd understand it's a gift from you. And that, Lord, we can literally let you shine through us because of that relationship. And so, Lord... Some may have to go to work today. I know we have nurses in here that work all these crazy shifts and hours and people who do shift work and some have to go back to work tonight and and others, Lord, tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to go to work. Lord, we are facing 
that drive going into the job. Would you help us, remind us, God, of these things? Would you remind us, Lord, that that you said there's there's a godly way to live in the in the working relationships that we have, that you can be expressed through us, and that that can have an influence on other people around us. And so, Lord, I, I know there's probably some people in here who have really difficult employment situations. There's some people who are underemployed. God, give them better jobs. There's some people that got really tough situations. The hours aren't working. They need a different job. Lord, there's some people in here who's got a tough situation and you want to teach them through that. Help them to not only just endure, but to thrive in that situation. Lord, we have business owners that need wisdom and vision for their companies. They they can't predict the future, but you know the future, God, and you can give them vision and wisdom to make good decisions for their benefit and for the benefit of all their employees. So Lord, we pray this. We invite you, Holy Spirit, into our working relationships. And I pray that that as we enter into our working relationships over this coming week, the Lord have there's this reminder that you are in the midst of it. And we would say we would it would be sanctified because of that we'd it would be we would take it, we'd set it apart, we'd say, This is something holy. Even if everybody around us is quite unholy, it would be it would be a holy moment for us. As we understand that we have the opportunity to shine for you in the work environment. So Lord, I pray this. I pray that for every person in this place that that your word would not just fade away, but your word would percolate inside of our spirits. And then as we go now through this very next week of work, that Lord, you would remind us of how we can allow Holy Spirit, you, to shine through us in what we do. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you to be good employees in Jesus' name. Amen.